Steve Gardner is president of Gardner Associates, a third-generation management development firm. Think about that for a minute. How many of you can say that you, as a coach, went into your father's or your grandfather's business? I know I can't. You'll be as fascinated as I am when you hear his stories on today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. All right, so welcome, Steve Gardner. So great to have you here. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. So welcome to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What What is Steve Gardner Associates? What What do you mostly do? Well, I spent 17 years uh, with a paper company running management and leadership development, and then I did the same thing with a pharmaceutical company for 13 years. But then six years ago, I had my career dream come true. My grandfather started Gardner Associates uh, back in 1928, uh, and he was credited with putting the first supervisor skills programs together, and he was a prolific writer. Uh, my dad followed in my uh, grandfather's footsteps. Uh, by day, he was a chief uh, human resource officer for Warren Lambert Pharmaceutical. But I used to hear him at night on an old typewriter typing away uh, a monthly magazine for Gardner Associates. And then the last 10 years of his life, he actually did it full time. So I decided uh, I wanted to follow in their footsteps. So six years ago, Doug, I, I re, uh, resurrected Gardner Associates. So I do leadership and management training, all the soft skills, I uh, do a fair amount of team building, but uh, probably a third of my time, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. Wow. So you do corporate trainings for team building? Is that correct? I do corporate training of whether it's leadership presence, performance management, you know, how to create visions. I do workshops. Mm -hmm. uh, my real passion, by the way, and what we'll probably talk about today is conflict resolution. So I do that for both corporate uh, clients as well as um, – social agencies, educational groups, nonprofit groups. And I do coaching for, for all those segments. Excellent. Now that is fascinating to me actually, because um, we had a, a guest earlier on who does conflict resolution often in, you know, war torn areas, et cetera. Um, I'm curious, those skills for, you talked about soft skills, but those skills for conflict resolution, I think are just really important skills in a lot of areas, you don't have to go to a, you know, like war torn area or drug cartels in Colombia to be dealing with conflict resolution. There's conflict resolutions, obviously, in personal relationships, there's conflict resolution necessary for businesses to run smoothly, uh, people who aren't working too well in a team. But what do you think about conflict resolution skills when it comes to an individual when they've got parts of themselves that may be in conflict, you know, a part of me wants to do this, part of me wants to do that, or, or how, is that ever come up? That's interesting, but let me, let me come back to that in just a second, because what a thought came to my mind as you were speaking, and that is, yes, the realm of disputes is universal. Mm. Uh, I had the really good fortune in my career to have spent some time with Bill Urey, who co-authored along with, um, uh, I'm, I'm just having a, a name freeze right now, but he co-authored uh, the book Getting to Yes, which popularized the win-win principles. I know the book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then he also uh, co-founded the uh, Harvard Negotiation Project. And I had an opportunity to spend some time with Bill. And one of the things Bill said, Steve, when you're into the conflict resolution space, you'll have lifetime guarantee employment because there will always be more disputes tomorrow than today because the population of the, the planet is exploding. So I see conflicts all over. I see them in the, and I've, I've, I've helped people in neighborhoods, in families, within teams at work, across departments with clients and customers and suppliers. Uh, it's, it's just incredible how many conflicts, but your question, if, if I'm conflicted myself, Personally, yeah, when, you, 
when you do coaching for people, you're talking with an individual. Yeah. There's con- through the skills of conflict resolution. By the way, I Googled it for you while you were talking. It's uh, Ro- Roger. Hey, Roger Fisher. Fisher. I can't believe because he, I owe so much to him. Uh, Roger Fisher uh, uh, sadly has passed on now, but uh, even in, even today, I still use stories. I, I was up spending three days uh, at a program many years ago at Harvard and had the opportunity to spend those three days with him and had lunch sitting right next to him. And he said, and interestingly, what skills do you really need to help coach people in conflict? Uh-huh. His number one skill in helping resolve difficulties was listening ah, very nice. by far listening. And his, his, his uh, cohort, his colleague, Bill Urey, to him, the most important skill was understanding perceptions. And, and Bill said, you know, he had gone to uh, the Harvard law school and he tells a fun story about going back for his 20th anniversary and Talking to the dean, saying to the dean, hey, you know, it took me two decades to unlearn something you taught us up here. And the dean was, you know, what do you mean? Because Bill, by now, had a great reputation of helping stop wars around the world. And he said, well, you taught us what was important was the facts. What I have learned is people's perceptions of the facts. Mm. So in coaching, I think one of the things we have to do is really help people deeply listen. And with real great empathy. But the other thing is we have to we have to help them really test their perceptions, their assumptions, their assumptions of themselves and the other people that they might be dealing with. That's beautiful. And how do you do that? Well, one of the things we just kind of tell funny stories. Uh, one of the great things I, I remember reading years. I mean, it's, it's like this. If the police. Uh, came upon a little fender bender car crash in a corner where on a street corner where no one was hurt, but there were four witnesses and the police officer interviews four. How many stories is he going to get? I know, I know, I know. Eight. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, he's going to get, most people say four, but he's going to get six because he's going to get both car drivers. And so they know that everybody sees things differently Mm. and we have different kinds of perceptions. And so that's one little thing. But the other thing is like this. I was reading the New York Times years ago that there's an association of owners of car dealerships, and they were very concerned about the American public's perception of car salesmen. Mm -hmm. So they brought it, you know, and so like what I would do with a group in a workshop or at a team building or even in a one on one coaching, I said, hey, I'm going to play a word game. I'm going to say car salesman and I want you to say the word that pops into your head right away. What adjective to describe that? So we can do that, Doug. If I say car salesman, you say? Sleazy. Yeah. And so, uh, by the way, I usually would say, I have nothing against car salesmen. I know some very reputable ones, but sleazy, cheat, you know, pressure, pushy, you know, I hear all those things. So the, the car dealer owners were upset about this. And so they brought a guy in to train their people, and he did the word association with the car salesman. He said, hey, when I say customer, what do you think? How do you describe the customer? And what do you think the car salesman said? Sleazy. Sleazy, <laughs> cheats, dishonest. They come in and they tell us, hey, the car only has 120,000 miles on it. Come on. We're not stupid. We know that it has 190 or, hey, that little scratch was just a little scratch. Well, we know that it was a major dent. Or here's the big one. Uh, after spending two hours with them, taking them on a road trip and everything like that, the person says, I'll be back tomorrow. Well, Doug, what percentage of people come back to the car dealership again? It's like less than 5%. So again, they use the, their perception and their view of the customer was exactly the same mm, as the customer view. And so that is just starts to illustrate we have to be very careful uh, about our perceptions of others, and we have to test our perceptions and test our assumptions. Love that. I love that. And, and so by doing that, you do that in a in a team building sort of thing? You, you do seminars on that? Is that how that works? Yeah, you can do that in workshops and in seminars and team building things. And, and then there's some fun little exercises where one person will play. We've got a role reading where one person is the landlord of a, uh, an apartment and then the tenant and just, they go, they go back and forth and seeing how on about 10 issues, they're 180 degrees different than how they view something. So it's, it just really in a very short period of time underscores how important it is 
that we understand how people see different things. Okay. So he, let me just stop you real quick. So Roger Fisher, Bill Uri, um didn't agree on what was most important on getting to yes, although they co-wrote the book together. And um, one thought it was deep listening. The other one thought it was understanding, clarifying perceptions. Yeah. How do you, uh, how do you feel about this? Which, who, who's right? I, I think they're, they're both right. Of course and, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I think they're both. I think those are two extremely important skills to have to resolve disagreements and in so many coaching uh, opportunities. Uh, one more thing about perceptions, you know, the famous picture that shows it gets projected on a screen and the facilitator says, do you see an old lady or a young lady? Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's yeah. been around a long time. Okay. Well, even Bill Urey and Roger Fisher used that when they went down to South Africa to train Nelson Mandela and the African National Congress, which mm-hmm. was about to assume power in South Africa. They wanted to teach them the win-win principles and they, and they co-taught the same skills in the same workshop to the existing government that had mm-hmm. governed for centuries there. And they used that famous, they, that, that famous old lady, young lady. Uh-huh. And what they did is they took one half of the group, put them into a room and just showed on a projector screen, the picture of the old lady. The other 50% of the people in another room saw just a picture of the young lady. When they brought the two groups together, they projected the scene. And of course, you know, the answer the people who were uh, drilled in seeing the young lady only saw the young lady and the people who just saw the old lady just saw the old lady. It's just so important that we take the time to really see things from different perspectives. That's great. Now, I, I believe you have told me as well that when you do these corporate team building workshops and you, you love doing those, you've been doing them for a long time as has your grandfather and father. That's amazing. That's a three generation family business. That's just, that blows my mind. Um, the, I think that's pretty unique. I don't think there's too many family businesses that, that are like yours, but you also said that I, you like to do one-on-one coaching. Yeah. That, that often, you know, the, you get the sort of best results. I don't know if you said that I might be putting words in your mouth, but you get, great results from, from the one-on-one coaching. So tell us a little bit about, about that. Well, I, I would kind of put this in, it's, it's, it's really about dispute resolution, but I put it in under coaching. You never know where you might go. Uh, I got a call a few years ago from a friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in 20 years. We had worked in the forest products business together and he was in Texas and he calls me up and said, Hey, Steve, uh, I'm a member of a very large church. And there's a real fight going on between the the head uh, preacher and the number two person in the church. And it's gotten so bad, it's created a civil war within the congregation and people are leaving the church in droves. And so the the group of elders uh, has decided we need to find an outside coach to come in and see if they can help these two people resolve that dispute. And so that's what I did in, in this coaching opportunity. Uh, I was in Texas. I live in Connecticut. I got on the phone for about 90 minutes with each person individually. Mm-hmm. And I basically taught them the win-win principles that Roger Fisher and Bill Urey made so famous. And, and I spent a lot of time asking them, what do you think the interests, the concerns, the desires of the other person are? And what are yours? And so I got that from both people. And then I flew down to Texas and we got together and we compared their views of each other. And it it was just remarkable because these were two people who you would think would be very skilled and proficient in listening. But in this case, they got hung up Mm. on the issue and didn't really, it, it, it was interesting. They almost, but didn't quite have the full flavor of the other person's perceptions. And that's what you can do is you can help coach people to really get the full 360 view of the other person. Cool. That's beautiful. And so I assume you were successful with them. Yeah, that one was a nice one. 
Yeah, because <laughs> I would have felt pretty bad for them, and I would have felt pretty bad for the congregation. And it was a long trip to go <laughs> to Lufkin, Texas. So just can you give us a little insights of how specifically you did that when you got there? I know you said you helped them see each other's perspective, but how, how do you do that? Do you sit them down and... The simplest way in, in, in perhaps a short podcast like this, Doug, is is what I actually did with, with those two. Okay. There's the famous old story in the conflict resolution field about the two sisters who start arguing over the orange. Almost everybody's heard of that. And they both fight. And they, they each are demanding that orange. That's the initial position they take. And then they saw, start calling each other nasty names. And then finally what they do, they pull, pull the all-American solution. They compromise. They cut the orange in half. So each of them has half an orange. But I... Sh- I I show a picture of these two sisters who are very disgruntled because they didn't get what they needed. Had they taken the time to simply ask, sister, what do you need the orange for? You discover the interest of the other person. And the one sister said, well, my interest in the orange is I am making a recipe that calls for a ground up peel of a whole orange. She only has a half now, so she can't make the recipe. The other sister, her interest in the orange was the fruit or the juice for a drink she was making, but she needed it from a complete orange. She couldn't make it. So I just explain that real quickly. Most people have seen it. To under, so they understand that we can argue till the you know cows come home over our initial demands, our, our opening positions. It's a waste of time. Furthermore, we don't want to start calling each other nasty names. We want to attack the problem, not attack the people. And so if they just ask that simple question that any two-year-old can ask, why, 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 they would have discovered what the person really needed. And then the obvious answer is uh, they would have peeled the orange. One got the peel, one got the fruit. So I use that. And then to illustrate how important it is to understand what your needs are, and the needs are of the other person. And then I use a story of how, uh, and this is in the book, Getting the Yes, how Jimmy Carter was taught by Roger Fisher, the win-win principles. Mm-hmm. And Carter brought Anwar Sadat, the president of Egypt, to Camp David along with Menachem Begin. And using the win-win principles, they came up with a peace agreement. Ultimately, all three of them, you know, not only they stopped the killing in the war, the three of them won the Nobel Peace Prize. So I, I illustrate that. I, I, we talk through that. And, and in, I, I, I usually use those two examples with them as individuals so that when we come together, they have already been exposed to that and they understand what the interests are of the other side. That's brilliant. Love it. And so, you do that with you can do that with any I do that with many disputes. Okay. Cool. I love hearing these stories. And so you can keep telling us stories. That's fantastic. Because we we learn so much from stories. I, I just did a podcast on stories. Um I think they're they're the way human beings are kind of wired to learn. Um it's it's one thing to to understand a principle, but then to actually see it in action and, and experience it as it happens is quite remarkable. Um, so please feel free if you have any, any stories. <laughs> don't stop yourself. Just, uh, oh, but here, here's the other thing. I mean, like I've coached people because, uh, believe it or not, uh, I probably should leave the name of this organization out of it, but it is a major recreational company. Okay. That owns 17 locations. Is it Disney? Uh, it's not Disney. <laughs> um, it's, it a, it, it's a skiing company. <laughs> and when they called me in because the ski patrol at one of their resorts had unionized. And they didn't know how to deal with that. So I had to coach the managers how to use win-win principles. <laughs> at another one of the resorts resorts the ski patrol had unionized and they didn't have to deal with that so had to coach the managers on how to deal with that situation so you never know where you're going to find uh disagreements that they can benefit from these win-win principles can you can you always do it can you always resolve a conflict 
No, I wish you could know. And when I when I'm teaching people, a lot of times when doing the one on one coaching, those have a very high degree of success okay. where I'm less sure is if I go into it, uh, I, I was with a company two weeks two weeks ago and i was teaching new supervisors how to resolve conflicts and we get a chance to practice on on real situations i'm a little less confident that after just one workshop even if i follow up with them that they're able to do it successfully but even even roger fisher and bill urie will tell you they don't get a pluses they don't get 100 percent all the time mm -hmm. it just it really improves your batting average you're more likely to have success if you practice very good active listening, really understand people's perceptions, and then use the, the four win-win principles. What are the four win-win principles? Uh, the first one is um, don't focus on those positions. Focus on interests. Uh, the second thing is um, to focus on mutual interests, that if you and I aren't seeing eye to eye on something, we still have some common goals, share goals, those are our mutual interests. Most people don't talk about those. Um, even two countries, the, the great example I mentioned before that Bill Urey and, and Roger Fisher had in their book about Sadat, and, and mm -hmm. um, that one was about the Sinai. And my, well, I've just lost my point. That The point was is they had not in 10 years really talked about the interests, desires, and fears uh, and concerns of the other side. Uh, and they hadn't talked about the shared goals that they had. Mm -hmm. But even two countries at war want peace. They want to stop the killing. They want to spend less on military budget. They want to take that savings and money and spend it on their economy. They want to spend it on the health, the happiness, the welfare, the education of their people. And so what we try to do is, whether it's one-on-one -on -one coaching with two people in a dispute or in a, a, a whole department that's having a dispute with another department, is really take the time to get people to understand what their mutual interests are and, and then what their separate interests are. In the case of the two sisters, one wanted the peel, one wanted the orange. So when you know their shared or mutual interests and you marry those with their separate interests, you can come up with creative options. That's the next thing you want to do is create options incorporating both those shared mutual interests and separate interests. And the fourth thing is when you're Evaluating the options before you pick your solution, make sure you're using some objective criteria. You're not just using some kind of power play. Uh, and that's what's so one of the real benefits of win-win. It's not, you know, easy. It's, it can be very tough when you insist on objective standards for the final solution. Mm -hmm. I see. So it's object like we know specifically exactly what this satisfaction will look like, what it will feel like, what it will taste like. It, it's it's very specific, um, objective. You you know the object that's going to be there. It's very clear. Yeah. Hey, but but by the way, here's the thing. I've seen this so often. If you've ever gone into, if you ever gone to like your town or your cities, like when they have open sessions on the school budget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hearings, and they can get pretty out of hand. Yeah. They get very loud. And I always feel sorry in our town, the people who are examining that budget are volunteers and they get screamed at and yelled at by a whole auditorium uh, filled with people. But you can even you can even teach those people who are in the audience in a in two minutes, the win-win principles. So they're not attacking each other. They're not attacking the people who want to raise the budget and the people who want to raise the budget are not attacking the people who want to hold the budget. Even you can do that. Um, and, and one of the things you start off is, is just enunciating all the common interests. The people want to raise the budget and the people want to lower the budget. They still have probably 15 to 20 common interests nobody talks about those mm -hmm. that's that's thrilling to me yeah so i would love to see that happen i would love to see that happen uh, at governmental you know, town meetings like this i'd love to see it being taught to congress as an example i think that'd be a, a lovely thing because you know what we have a lot of common interests in this country awful awful lot of common interests and yet it just doesn't seem like anybody talks about those things Doug, I wish I had a 25 cent piece for every time I finished a workshop or a coaching session or a win-win a, a 
team building session with people say, Hey, why don't you go to Washington? Yeah. You know what? A 25 cent piece. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> uh, I've, I've had success at the local municipal level, uh-huh. but nobody has been able to crack Washington. And I've had an opportunity to speak to both one of our senators and our congressmen, both of them went to Harvard and are very familiar with Roger Fisher and Bill. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, what's very sad. They're not interested uh, in win-win down there. Mm-hmm. They're not even interested in compromising. We try in win-win to go beyond compromising because compromising by the definition we use is one person wants this, the other the person wants this, and both give up something. Right, right. All right. And so they don't even want to do that. <laughs> they just want to obliterate the demon that they see the other side being. Uh, so I've talked to them. Uh, there's a couple of very smart people up at the Harvard Law School uh, and the Harvard Negotiation Project that are trying to come up with a curriculum. Um, and maybe the start would be to not work with the senators and the congressmen themselves, but work with their staffs and teach the staffs, even within the Democratic group, they still have fights amongst themselves, using win-win principles to settle lows, or on the Republican side, with their staffs, uh, using win-win principles amongst themselves, and then staff to staff. That's I think mm-hmm. that could be the entree, but getting it to the senators, <laughs> that would be we can, somebody, somebody would win the Nobel Prize if they did that. Exactly. For sure. For sure. For sure. Well, golly. So let me ask you a question. This is the called the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, and it's where we try to unpack the secrets and the systems that set the best apart. That's our little tagline. And um, so I, I pretty traditionally, whenever I have a guest on here, Uh, attempt to get to the question, what do you think is an essential skill? If somebody were to say, I I either want to take my coaching business to the next level, or if I want to just get started in the coaching business, I want to get out of my old, you know, dead end job that I've gotten, get into this very cool profession of coaching. What what would you say is an essential or multiple essential skills? I'm assuming this deep listening and um, understanding perceptions would be chief among them. Yeah, and they they really are. So those are are two two of the top five, and maybe maybe the top two. the The other thing is is I'm a storyteller. Uh-huh. I'm a stand up trainer. But when I wear my coaching hat, I have to be different. I can use stories, but I can't talk. Uh-huh. I've got to be. I think a third really key is being able to ask questions oh great let's talk about that yeah because you want the other person talking and when i'm a trainer i'm sometimes my agenda is to teach them a skill and get them to use it and i quote unquote i am seen as the expert in that area when when it comes to coaching i want them to discover what their needs are and i want them to discover what the solution is rather than me coming in and intervening because that that doesn't work so i'm assuming that goes perfectly and ties in directly with deep listening is that correct yes yeah you gotta you've got to ask good questions and then really deeply listen to the answers and 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 be very careful that as you're listening to those answers your inner dialogue is shut off. Mm. You've got to give 100% of your focus, your attention, your concentration to that person's words, and you've got to understand their feelings. And, you, you know, in, in empathetic listening, you can play back, hey, it sounds still like you're very concerned about this. Oh, it sounds like you're very enthusiastic about this. You got you to gotta let those people know that you're tapped into not just what they're saying or the content, but that you're also understanding how they feel about it. Great. So I'm going to let you drink a little um, something and I'll talk for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Notice before you're reaching for your cup when I asked a quick question there. Um, so I, I'm in, in complete agreement with you. And I, I really believe that um, in my, when I teach people to be coaches and I teach those things that I spend a lot of time on exactly this. How do you ask good questions? How do you really listen? Um really paying attention to, to what they're saying and how they're saying it, et cetera. Um, what are some examples of those kinds of questions that you would go to that would be uh, 
you know, your go-to questions, if you will, for, for helping people to unpack what they need to get in touch with. Yeah. It, it sometimes it, it depends on the context because sometimes I'm called like, like I said, tomorrow I'm going to be talking to the CEO of a company because two of his people are having a conflict. So I kind of know what the context is. And so when I meet with each of those people individually, they already know why I'm there. They have agreed to have a third party come in. And so I, I'm going to say, hey, I want to make sure I really understand what's what's the issue from your standpoint? How do you feel about that? What are your greatest interests? What are your concerns if you went with the other person's um, potential solution? What do you think that person's interests, concerns, needs, desires, fears are? So I've got a whole series of questions to help them start to think about what is the root of the conflict? One of the toughest things is when you say, after you've earned a little bit of credibility and trust with them, the tough question to ask in conflict resolution coaching is, and Doug, what do you see is, how are you contributing to the conflict? Hmm. Because there's two sides to every story, or as there's really three. <laughs> There's the one disputants, the other disputant, and then there's the truth. So those are some of the opening questions I'll do in in a um, in in a, in a conflict resolution thing. And then at some point I'd say, "Hey, what do you think that both of you have in common? What are your shared or mutual interests?" And I, I want to see from each person what they what they have. And then I said, "What do you think if you're on the money here?" with you both have these shared desires, but you've got some unique things that you'd like and you see your counterpart as having some unique interests or desires, what might be a potential option? What might be a solution? You know, I could see it clear as day with the solution, but I never would, as a coach, I'm not going to dictate that. I want yeah. them to come up with it their, themselves. That's, that's coaching 101. Why, why is that? Why, why do you think that's more important than just if you've got to say, if it's the answer, if, if, if you know what the truth is and you can elaborate and uh, articulate it, why, why not just tell them? Well, he, here's what happens is I wouldn't do that when my, with the, when they're both together, if they don't come up with what I conceive, uh, what I think is a workable solution. At mm -hmm. that point, I'll say, hey, you know, you guys, was, what I love is when people can come up with their own. Because you're closest to the situation, you know far more than I do than about it. So I was hoping that you come up with a creative possibility. Um, it sounds like we're not quite there yet. Would you two like me to share some of the options I've been thinking about? So I ask them, if they don't come up with it, then I'll ask their permission. And they always say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm amazed, at how, Doug, how often people come up with their own no, no, I'm sure of it. I'm just, uh, yeah, no doubt. Because it's it's really interesting, actually, because I teach a course called, um, I, teach, I wrote a book called Sleight of Mouth. And the way the creator, Robert Diltz, taught it, and the way I attempt to teach it as well in his in his footsteps, is that it's it's about perception, that, there's, that there is um, a, sh a reality. And I go back to a, a book I read years ago, um, I don't know how to pronounce the author's name. It's Hyanimist Storm. Uh, it's a, a, called Seven Arrows. It's a book about, you know, Native American wisdom. And in that, in that book, he describes, he says, if we, if we were sitting in a circle in the forest or in the, somewhere, and we put an object in the middle of the circle, um, like a drum or a feather, everybody sitting in that circle would have a different perspective of what that object in the center is. And not, not only that, would you, you know, see it from the east side or the west side where the sun's setting and it's either the sun is either in your eyes or it's casting that thing in a beautiful glow. Either way, it's going to be a different perception. But from their place in, in the circle, they're right. Right. Yeah. Two, two things. That, that's also remember the great parable or poem, Five Blind Men and an Elephant. Yes, yes, I do. I, I sometimes will just get somebody from the audience to just come up and sit down and read that. Or if I'm in a coaching situation, right. I'll read it to the, the coach, the people going through the coaching, because in the end, you know, each has a different perception uh, of the elephant. And so they were all right and they were all wrong. Yeah. So then the, the trick really is simply to just say, Hey, 
come with me and you guide him over to the other side of the circle and you look at it from there. Yeah. So I, I can see that you're right from here. And if you look at it from here, maybe you'd see it differently. Go ahead. When it, going back to that famous picture of the old lady, young lady, mm-hmm. uh, back when we were still using overhead projectors. Yes. I put that up and I was teaching. It was a group of union and management people. That's where I, I spent a lot of my time doing joint sessions with unions and management groups. And so they had a, a U shape and I put that picture up there. And this one lady who was sitting right up at the front of the U, mm-hmm. all she could see was the old lady. She could not see the young lady. And so I tried to get somebody from the audience and to, to explain how do you, how can, here's the young lady and trying to describe it, you can't do it. After about two minutes of frustration, the woman got up, walked around, dug the outside of the U-shape, got on the left side of the room and looked up and she says, now I see it. Wow. And I got goosebumps showing yeah. that sometimes to change your perception, you there have to you change your perspective. There you go. Yes, exactly. Very, very cool. That's beautiful. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Great. Uh, so it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, but I, I, I could go on and on and on. There's countless stories about like that. Well, I, I'm, I'm enjoying every one of them. So like I said, feel, feel free to regale us with stories. It's like, no, no, don't throw me in the briar patch. Um, you can, <laughs> we love your stories. Which uh, you mentioned Disney before. I found out that that, the, you know, the Splash Mountain that yeah. had that in there. That's kind of like the fi- final thing. Did you ever go through Splash Mountain at Disney? Yeah. And they, that's the song of the South. They sing that. And, oh, he, and, they, and he says, don't throw me in the briar patch. That's no longer politically acceptable. I they realized, they to as I said that, I realized it was. Yeah, they had to change the music. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not yeah. surprised. As, as, as rightly so, rightly so. So um, if a person is listening to this podcast who says, boy, this is really interesting. I want to get into coaching. I'd like to either quit my dead end job and do this or, or, uh, or just enhance my skills. Um, what is essential for a person to be able to make a living as a coach? A, a couple of things is, uh, again, I was blessed. I was very lucky in my corporate careers to work for a couple of CEOs who were dedicated to development of people at every level in the organization. Mm -hmm. So I was privileged to have met some of the real gurus in the leadership and management development field, and obviously the conflict resolution field. So I think you need to have uh, some background, you know, somebody else could have incredible financial uh, background. Somebody could have great uh, IT back. I think you've got to have something that you're really an expert in. Okay. One of the things about coaching is it, it pains me, Doug, and maybe you've seen this. I know a lot of people who just kind of hang up their shingles saying they're a coach. Yeah. And, they, and they don't really have the background and maybe they haven't gone through some of the training and the certifications that are necessary. And I, I think that they see, they'll see a coach and they think, oh, I can do that. But it takes years, years, I think, to become a good coach. And you've, you, you need good coaching to be a good coach. The second thing is once you do have the proper experience capabilities, training, mentoring, coaching on how to be a coach, and you decide to go into the business, I think whether somebody is a coach or a stand-up workshop trainer, very little of your time and percentage basis is actually spent coaching. You have to go out and develop a clientele. You have to market and that you have to write proposals. Uh, you have to put the stuff together. And I think that one of the cautions is I want to make sure if somebody's going into the coaching field or the training and development field, they understand that it's not just you're gonna, the phone's going to ring and you're going to go in next week and do a coaching session or have a series of coaching sessions. So th- those are two different things. One is being ready and able and having the capabilities. And second is recognizing that it's all not just the coaching. There's a lot more that goes into it. Yeah, there is. There is. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I've been in the uh, 
workshop business for a long time. I, I started a business called uh, NCI East in 1990, uh, where I brought different people into New York City to present uh, workshops. And, and I'd been already at that point, been working with Tony Robbins for a number of years as his manager in New York City. So I, I, I learned the ropes of how to put on a seminar. Um, but it's not easy. And it, you, 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 part of your job is to make it look easy. Yeah. You know, everything yeah. runs smoothly. So people, when they go out there, go like, oh, I could do this. It's not easy. And that marketing thing is a huge piece. I would say probably you've got to have uh, expertise in a, in a bunch of different areas in yeah. order to, to run, you know, a successful coaching business or marketing uh, seminar business type thing. Doug, I knew a guy very respectable. He was in some really big name Fortune 500 corporations, and he was in the learning and development field. And he decided um, when he when he left that the corporate arena uh, that he wanted to get into coaching. And he spent uh, a, a tremendous amount of time getting his website ready, but he never went out and started talking to people and marketing himself. And he, he, he didn't get one client in a whole year. And after that, he gave up. Now, mm. that was an extreme case. Yeah. But it was a case. Here was a guy that had some expertise and he had something to offer, but he didn't have the necessary. He didn't have a network. That's one of the other things that's kind of helpful is if you have a network that you can be calling on. Tell us about that. What What, what is a network? How does one get one? Uh, there's all sorts of ways. Uh, I I have participated since I was eight years old in America's longest running leadership conference. It's been going on since 1918. It's called the Leadership Forum uh, up at Silver Bay. It's now. They they take breaks. Wow. That's (laughs) been going on since then. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's three days. What happened was is the captains of industry, guys like J.P. Morgan back in 1918, said, hey, we're not paying enough attention to the human side of organizations. And so they started running this three-day conference up at Lake George. And just on a voluntary basis, they used their their network to bring in top-name speakers to present. And it's been going on for 102 years. And so my grandfather started going in the 20s. So my dad brought us as kids. So that's where I was so lucky because I started, that was a network up there before people knew how to spell the word network. Mm -hmm. And so as a young youngster, I started attending some of these sessions and that's where my network really started. I met a lot of people there. You can find people in every walk of your life. That's your network. You tune in, you, you, you tune into everybody, particularly if you're making the plunge into coaching, you want to let everybody know that you're going into coaching and you never know. It might be somebody that you haven't talked to in 25 years and go back to your high school graduating class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you had 200 people in your high school graduating class, you talk to, you know, 50 of them, I can guarantee you, you're going to get a coaching client out of that. So that's really interesting because that's the opposite of the skill necessary that you said for being a good coach is to be a good listener. That yeah. is all about deep listening. You're now talking about talking about, oh, yeah. you got to be talking to, you know, strutting your stuff a bit, you know, telling people what it is that you're doing and, and why you're qualified and how you could help people. And Doug, it still requires the, the, the act of listening at the outset of that. You got to hear something and then you got to listen to what people are saying and then you realize, hey, you know what? That's something I could probably help that person with. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's both talking and it's listening and talking. Do you think it's valuable for a person who's starting out or maybe even as a regular basis, even after they've established a business, to offer free coaching sessions? Yeah, I think a lot of people do that. Um, and, and what I would do um, – I I had a client who was a CEO mm-hmm. of a company here in Connecticut, and he let me know two years he 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 was he was there for about fifteen years, and at his thirteenth year he let me know that he was going to be retiring in two years from that, and he wanted to go into consulting, particularly coaching. Now here was a guy that was amazing because he was a human resource executive. And one of the very few HR professionals that made the transition from that role to the CEO role. Mm-hmm. And so when he told me he was interested in doing that, 
I lined them up with some people who were like the big coach, some real big coaches. And because I knew that they would, they would like the fact that this guy was making that kind of transition and they would talk to him and they did for like an hour or two in some cases. And so I think one of the things that if you're thinking about going into coaching, yes, you can offer free coaching, but see if you can just talk to some successful coaches. And when I mean successful, people have been around the block, not, mm-hmm. not just a good friend who's been doing it for five years. I'm, I'm talking about getting somebody. I'm not, I'm not saying you got to call up Marshall Goldsmith, um, but you should talk to somebody who's written some books, has a real track record, uh, is known as an effective coach. That's what I, I, I urge people to do. Okay, cool. So, I don't want to keep you any much longer than our allotted time here. I could talk to you all day because I find you absolutely fascinating. Um, do you, when you, when you do these seminars, do you have like a, a few stories that you tell t- sort of towards the end of a training to sort of wrap things up in a nice kind of finishing deep thought that you want to leave people with? Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I got I can't speak too loud because my one of my favorite ones my wife I'm upstairs my office is in the basement of the house but uh, sometimes on a I lose the it's too far from the router so uh, I came upstairs and she's down the other end but I used to tell the story about win-win that many years ago we were living in a kind of we were first married and I was traveling 70% of the time. I was putting on win-win workshops for joint union management groups. It had never been done in the forest products industry and it radically transformed the relationship. These guys hated each other. They didn't trust each other. Every other word was something that you didn't hear at Sunday school. And we ran the first joint win-win training and they used it in their negotiations and no one had done that before. And over time, it helped establish some trust with them. So I was flying all over doing that. We're living in a condominium. We had one child. She was going to be going to school. Well, we lived in a, in a town of Bridgeport. And at the time, Bridgeport had very high taxes, terrible school system. Infrastructure was terrible. There were lots of gangs. There was a lot of drugs being peddled right off the highways in Connecticut in Bridgeport. It was a bad place to live. And we were literally on the town line. All our friends lived in the next town. So we decided to put our house on the market. And we were in no rush because our daughter was going to be going to school in a year. So we had plenty of time. And the first day, we had a bunch of people come through the house, the, the condo. And real estate agent called us up that night and said, Hey, I'm really excited. I think we're going to get three offers tomorrow. I said, did we price it too low? (laughs) (laughs) The next day, the mayor of Bridgeport made national news by declaring the city was going bankrupt. Oh, great. So everything plunged. (laughs) We didn't see, we didn't see anybody for 12 months, you know, no one. um, And Uh, banks were repossessing houses and putting them on the market. It really, you know, uninflated prices. So it was really bad. And so what I did is I went to a real estate agent and I said, Hey, listen, I've been going around using this win-win. I, I showed him the getting the yes book. I said, read this over the weekend because I want to do something to get people here. I just want to get them here because I want to discover because they still, people are moving into town and people are moving out. I just want to find out what their interest is. And that's what win-win is all about. And then I said, then we can get creative. You know, maybe we'll find that somebody is an elderly couple and that their uh, grandchildren have all moved to California. And at at this point, uh, we had a a little child. And I said, hey, part of the deal could be if they can't see their own grandchildren, we'll let them see ours on occasion. You know, something like that. Um, Or maybe it's a small business person who has no budget for a trainer. I could come in and be his temporary trainer on as make that part of the package. Uh, We spent our summers at a family camp in Bear Mountain, New York, and we've got a cabin there. I said part of the deal could be we'll let him have a cabin for a couple of weeks. So I was just trying to show what we could do. So this guy reads the book. He goes to his Monday sales meeting at his real estate place and says, hey, this guy Gardner, he's a nut. He's ready to give his kid away to sell his house. <laughs> and everybody laughed, but they got on the phone and they talked about that. And we ended up selling the house within a week 
after having nobody come through it. Did you have and to so, give a kid away? Didn't have to give a kid away. Sure. No. Happy ending. Yeah. And 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 it was it was it, the, the 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 people bought it was a newly married couple. The guy was a chef in a small in a small um, a restaurant, and what he loved was our kitchen. Neither my wife nor I at the time cooked at all, so our kitchen was immaculate. <laughs> Yeah, and so to me, that's what's kind of fun about it. when you get to that creative stage after I've actively listened yes. and I understand what your viewpoint is and I know what your interests, your concerns, your desires, and you know mine, then we get to that creative stage. And I think that's a lot of fun. Oh, that's beautiful. Steve Gardner, if people want to get hold of you, how do they do that? What's what's the uh, the method whereby you have a website i'm um, i i have a website and the the one of the things that people can do is just remember my name steve gardner and and here's my email steve gardner 07 at gmail.com and that way if you've got that you can get access to everything when i googled steve gardner i noticed there are more than one Steve Gardner's. Are you the seventh? Is that what the 07? No, the 07 is, I'm giving this away, but Mickey Mantle was my favorite baseball oh, player when I was a little kid. So the seven is there. So, Very nice. That's um, nice. So um, the the other thing is that's, I love it when people contact me in email because I, I love the stuff that I do. And that's the other thing. If you're going to go into coaching, you got to love it. Yeah, it's true. It's if you look at it just as a job, it won't work for you no, or yeah. the people who, who need your help. No, it's, it's a, it's a calling and clearly you are in the right profession and it's just so cool that your grandfather and your father did the same sort of thing that you're doing. That's, that's just amazing. Amazing to me. Um, the other, the other thing, if somebody wanted to look at a website, it's my name, Gardner, G A R D I N E R associates as short for associates, one long word, Gardner associates, assoc.com that's my website gardner associ without the i t e s.com very cool and if they if they googled gardner associates they'd probably find that website yeah the the other guy there's a gardner associates in boston and he's in the um i think the lands not landscape uh, landscaping business okay so you're not that kind of gardener i'm a different gardener <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Doug, we got to do this more often. It would be my pleasure. Steve Gardner, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Doug. Take care. And and uh, I'm glad that you didn't hit the bed. I heard no noise. Too many times. <laughs> Thanks for letting people know that I'm doing this from my bedroom, Steve. Appreciate that so much. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. Thank you very much. And uh, if anybody, uh, if any, if people listen to this podcast, uh, if you want to know more resources, I love this stuff. And just give me a holler and we'll talk about it. Beautiful. Thanks. Take care now, Doug. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us each and every one of us at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks.